HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Today is February 28th, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. Let's give a shout out to our, our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. Use GreatBrewers.com to learn more about beer styles and take the Great Beer Test to challenge your beer IQ. Again, GreatBrewers.com brings the American beer community together. We're also supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, an association of 34 New York City beer bars that serve, promote, and support good beer. Check out our events and more at GoodBeerSeal.com. Well, we've got a special show tonight where we have uh, chocolate and beer. And our returning co-host, Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery. How are you, Garrett? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm about to do particularly well because I'm looking at massive chunks of chocolate with various uh, stratified layers that uh, we're about to uh, learn about. So we have Clay, Clay Gordon here. Clay, uh, how do people know you? You're Mr. Discover Chocolate or something? I'm known, I'm known as the world's first professional chocolate critic. So uh, I've been practicing teaching people about chocolate, how to enjoy chocolate. Uh, for almost 12 years now. Right? I run an online community called thechocolatelife.com. About 5,500 members in 140 countries, and all we do is talk about chocolate. Excellent. And we have John Hall here, another uh, beer writer. That's right. I'm not the first beer writer. I'm uh, Ever? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of uh, many in a scrum, but it's it's nice to be here and seeing some chocolate and now some, some glasses for some beer going down. That's it. I'm leaving. I thought I was here with the first beer writer. <laughs> That was a Mesopotamian guy. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Was, yeah. Well, Garrett, back to you. I mean, you had a great fall. You, you the Oxford Companion of Beer came out. Yeah, it's been uh, uh, it, it, it's been great. You know, John and I have been talking about uh, the pleasures of, uh, of of not writing, uh, uh, which he's looking forward to, and I'm uh, you know I'm now finally enjoying. 
Uh, but uh, the book has done fantastically well, and uh, you know that's been uh, uh, terrific. And uh, so you know, it was a it, w- it was an interesting fall, and I'm just kind of now back to uh, spending all my time thinking about uh, beer rather than uh, beer rather than editing and, and writing. So it's uh, I have to tell you, uh, making beer is hard. Ma- writing so so much harder. Amen. <laughs> When your brewmaster's table came out, how many years ago was that? That was uh, two thousand three, and you know, it actually, uh, uh, I, I had thought that maybe it was uh, it was out of print, but uh, I just heard today that uh, you know there are there are more copies coming in. So if somebody uh, uh, is looking for it and they don't see it, uh, uh, you know, they are on a slow boat from China. <laughs> you covered a lot of food and beer pairings in that book, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it, what's been really wonderful is to watch, uh, you know, to watch beer and food pairing become uh, go from being kind of a backwater to being kind of an everyday mainstream topic of conversation. Last week, I did. I was preparing for a beer and oyster tasting. You know, so uh, at at lunch, or rather for lunch, I had twenty oysters. Uh, and, and and a little bit of and and beer. I mean, not even a cracker or anything. Just oil. it's actually not that advisable. I mean, they were delicious, but you really should have something else besides that. And that evening, I made oysters Rockefeller, and it was in fact a thirty oyster day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you horrified or uh, are you jealous <laughs> or both? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> both, both at the same time. I'm just getting know. hungry. Right? <laughs> I'm getting hungry. So Clay's here with some chocolate. Right. Uh, let, let's try to improvise some uh, beer and chocolate pairings. Well, I have no idea what the beers that we're serving today are. And so what I've done is I've chosen a selection of chocolates from around the world. And I think we're going to start off. What are we? What have we got here? Um, we're drinking a Saison uh, that's aged in a barrel um, and made with homegrown. Home this is Mark. Uh, Mark, tell us your name. I'm, I'm Mark Zapp, um, a home brewer. Staten and, Island. Uh, from Staten Island. I'm not from Staten Island. I just live on Staten Island. Um, and uh, It's a little late now. You just could know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I own, I own a house, so I guess I am a Staten Islander. But, uh, you know, I, I homebrew. I'm an occasional beer writer uh, for the Staten Island Advance. And uh, I did a project called Brewing is Art um, the year before last. Uh, and yeah, so. But what beers did you bring us? I brought a, I brought a myriad of beers. Um, what we're drinking is what we're drinking right now is is a saison that's aged in a barrel, uh, with uh, with a little bit of honey, uh, up uh, upstate New York honey, uh, and uh, with homegrown Halatara hops from my backyard. Oh, nice. Wow. Now, are they? Uh, is this one hundred percent homegrown hops, or did you blend them in? No, it's one hundred percent homegrown. That's wow. nice. You got, you got some good bitterness there. Nice and dry. What kind of barrel did you use? Uh, a whiskey barrel, um, but obviously the whiskey's dissipated quite a bit. It could have used a little bit more time in the barrel. I was looking to get a little bit more Brett in it, but was it like a five uh, uh, a five gallon pin kind of barrel? Yes, or? sir. Yeah. Well, Garrett, you t- you talked a little bit about how beer is coming on as a is a great beverage for pairing and with a great deal of flexibility. And certainly when th- people think about pairing chocolate, the first thing that comes to mind um, is wine. Right? Red wine goes with dark chocolate. Uh, not for me, no. Well, but <laughs> well, and so, but for many people. Yeah. And what's very interesting for me is that the, um, the, 
the advice that says that white wine goes with fish and red wine goes with meat um, follows very much, um, you know, it's okay as far as it goes, but you'll never have um, really the opportunity to have a lot of fun, just the received wisdom. So when you talk about pairing with beer, one of the things that happens is that you're working a lot with the bubble structure, the texture, the nice soft textures of beers. So things like pale ales and uh, many pale ales and milk chocolates go well together. Totally counterintuitive um, kinds of pairings. What I have here that I think I want to put with Mark's beer is um, a Swiss company called uh, or uh, called Adelio. And what they've done is um, they've selected uh, a number of beans from different areas of Venezuela. And each one of the regions of Venezuela imparts a different flavor to their beans, much like you might choose one particular kind of hops, right, or to blend hops from very different places. So why don't we grab this one? What's the what's – the, Now, which one am I looking at here, Mitch? The, this the, one you're, looking, you're looking at the, at the solid chocolate. Okay, so right. I've got uh, – uh, just for a matter of appearance, it uh, – you know, it uh, it actually has a Hershey-like appearance. Uh, you know, in its uh, in in, it, in its uh, split of uh, of little squares, uh, it's very thin. It's got, it appears if you look at it on the side to have some chunks in it, like it, looks like little bits of nut almost. It has it has little bits of cocoa nib in it. A little bit of cocoa nib, so we're gonna get a little crunch there. It's gonna give you a little crunch and also a little bit of complexity, and it's gonna give some bright fruitiness into the chocolate that wouldn't be there afterwards. And I think that some of that bright fruitiness is going to go with the brightness which which is in the the beer you've poured for. Well, us. tell us a little bit about cacao versus chocolate. I mean. You know, some people don't, you know, aren't really, you know, you see the word cocoa, you see the word chocolate, you see the word cacao. Mm -hmm. They're often used by people who don't understand them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how does cacao become chocolate? Well, that's a very, very complicated. It's a whole book, (laughs) and I wrote and I wrote one. Wait, I'm going to cut this one off. Let's go back to some. Garrett, what beers would you pair with these chocolates? You know, I think uh, I haven't even tasted this pairing yet, but I would tend to do something very dry. Uh, this has some acidity to it. It's got a lot of uh, floral notes. It has what I think of as really nice uh, cacao flavor. What's the percentage of, uh, of chocolate solids here? Uh, 72. 72. So that tends to be like, that's in the zone of what I really like. Now, I would like to say that I'm really cool and I'm down with like the 92 and the 100% or whatever else. That's you know for you know for me those are interesting more than pleasurable. The seventies you know kind of you know personally that's kind of my sweet spot, um, and a little a little bit of sugar, and I think that uh, uh, you don't need something huge to go with this. You could even have something light bright. I could see even like a Yaver Pils, uh, you know, working with this like a really sharp Pilsner that's floral into the finish. You know, working with something like this. Mm-hmm. Did, did you bring some beers that you thought would go well with chocolate? I did. I brought a bottle, uh, a bottle conditioned bottle of our uh, Mary's Maple Porter with uh, maple syrup, 100% from uh, our quality control director's uh, estate. She has 500 acres of maple trees. Wow, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of maple trees. and uh, So this is your new Brewmaster series. It the is. Brewmaster's it's at LA's Brewmaster's Reserve. This, is, this version is re-fermented in the bottle with champagne yeast. And there's 50 gallons, and that's gallons, of maple syrup in every batch of this beer, wow. you know. And every batch is about, like, 80-some-odd kegs. So if you do the math, that's a lot of syrup. This is the most expensive beer we've ever made. <laughs> so uh, what, what do you use? I mean, it's a syrup. Does that replace anything? It, well, it, it replaces malt, essentially. I mean, it is part of the fermentable sugar. It went into the kettle about 10 minutes before the end of the boil. Um, by adding it towards the end of the boil, we don't boil off 
uh, uh, as many of the volatiles as you might otherwise, and we want some of those volatile characters. I've learned a lot about maple syrup in doing it. A lot of the flavors that we get from maple syrup are from caramelization. But it's kind of like cacao in a way. There's the flavor of the plant, and there's the flavor of what you did with the plant. And you know, the flavor of the plant and, uh, uh, is this very subtle kind of thing. What we did with the plant is we caramelized it. And in a similar way, what you do with the cacao is it has its own flavors, and then you roast them, and you have an o- a whole other set of flavors that are laid on top of it. And so you have gradations of all sorts and a lot of complexity. And we've seen the same thing. That, that was the, the thing that you hear in the back of my throat, they're nibs. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is great, guys. So then, so, uh, Clay. Yes. So how, how does uh, beer play with chocolate going along these lines? It plays one hundred and one, buddy. Just it plays extremely well. It's it's important, um, as I said earlier, to think about the texture, right? When you're when you're working with things that have high amounts of acidity and high amounts of astringency, which are you generally don't have in lots of beers. Texture is there in general pastry terms. What you're looking to do is complement in flavor. All right, um, or complement flavor and contrast and texture, right? And what we're doing with the chocolate is we're looking to start off with this wonderful complement in the texture, all right? So the warm and creaminess of the the head of the beer, right, goes into the warmth and creaminess of the chocolate, right? To start off. So John, and, and you're working on a book about food pairings, <clears throat> or what, I, uh, what is it, the new book you're working? The on? new book is called Craft Beer Kitchen, and it's basically. Uh, I've compiled recipes from the great breweries all in the United States, the uh, the truly independent, small-owned breweries. This is not a, uh, a cooking with uh, Anheuser-Busch uh, beer can chicken type of thing. <laughs> Although beer can chicken's in there. We're just using a good beer. Um, and uh, it's basically the 101. So it's not for everybody in this room who knows... Uh, the the joys and the real pleasures of pairing good beer with good food, but this is for the other ninety five percent of the the country that's out there uh, who still think of a fine meal as uh, a wine based dinner. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Garrett obviously ushered us into this era with his brewmaster's table several years ago, and it's great to hear that that book is is going to be reissued or what's the yeah just it's, it's staying staying in print that's so fantastic it's, uh, that's nice so let's keep it keep it on going and it's great um and this will uh th- this will have some recipes that people can try at home some are very basic some are really ambitious but all really try to hit home the flavors of uh the dish but also the beers that you can pair them with and also cook with so in some cases recipes will have beers and ingredients some cases they won't um and uh, in some cases, the pairings will be the one that you cooked with. Some cases, it won't. Do you have any chocolate pairings in your book? I, I do. Um, as Garrett mentioned earlier, I'm in the still writing phase at this point, and my brain is slowly turning to jello. So not a lot is coming to mind. I'm sorry to say. All right, Garrett. I'll, I'll jump in you guys have point. to step up for me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll plug in your books. Just give me a couple of your favorite beer and chocolate pairings. Whether oh, or not I, from your you know, book, I, I've uh, well, I mean, um, you know, for the not, layman, not, not 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 so much you know necessarily for brewmaster's table, but I think you know that as he was saying, you really have to think counterintuitively. When I first started doing beer and chocolate uh, pairings, I said, okay, where are my dark beers? How am I pairing my dark beers? Hopefully, my sweeter beers, and let's make this work. You know, whereas yes, those will work very nicely in many cases. Uh, 
black chocolate stout, which many people know is uh, is particularly good with chocolate truffles. And I've done tastings versus port, where they say, okay, port and chocolate truffles. And I know it's a little unfair, but when they would taste the port with the chocolate truffles, I would say, okay, uh, put the truffle in your mouth. Now taste the port. And I would wait about five seconds. I'm like, okay, now find the port. And everybody's face would kind of go blank when they realized they couldn't taste the chocolate anymore. Whereas, you know, the beer was able to sail right into it. So compliment, you have roasted malts, you have chocolate, which has roasted characters. These are what I call a flavor hook. These are two things that grab onto each other. And then you have sweet versus not so sweet. And so you have this tension. You have harmony, and then you have contrast. And then you also have, you know, the palate cleansing power of, uh, of bubbles. Now, the thing to watch out for, which is interesting, is uh, temperature is really important. I mean, not just for the chocolate, but also for the beer. You know, because chocolate's got fat, and anything that has fat, you have something cold, it's going to set that fat up on your tongue and actually prevent you from tasting it. So you got to let your, you know, you got to let your chocolate warm up, and you got to let your beer warm up, and you can make all kinds of fascinating things happen. Vice beer, you know, with uh, with chocolates. I mean, all all kinds of uh, stuff. So I mean, my my number one piece of advice was have a hundred percent open mind and don't think that you already know what's going to happen because you kind of don't. It's actually important whenever you come to a tasting like this. Tasting like this, the most important thing you need to bring is a sense of humor, right? And <laughs> and an openness. You know what's exactly. going to happen. I mean, it's you brought out the brewmaster's reserve, the maple yeah, porter, maple porter, yeah, the maple porter, and I brought with me uh, some chocolates from one of the new craft chocolate makers in the United States, a company in San Francisco called Cho, and they make a fifty-five percent milk chocolate. So it's a very high cocoa content milk chocolate. Most European. Milk chocolates are in the 33% cocoa range, and they describe the chocolate as lush and fudgy. And when you take that lush and fudgy chocolate and combine it with... That's the ma- name my new album. I'm just saying lush and fudgy. <laughs> you, know, you know, hitting stoves now. <laughs> the, the weird thing is it's heavy metal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Shh. <laughs> Right, uh, Brewmaster's unreserved. <laughs> exactly. we're, going, we're going out there. Doing this it. is too good, but we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Ooh, funky. Lush and fun. Constantinople now it's Istanbul, now Constantinople been a long time gone. Constantinople now church delight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, now Constantinople. So if you've a date in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. So take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople, why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. Istanbul. Istanbul. That's 
done my best. Uh, you know, I, I'm a baritone. In old New York. <laughs> Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta. You say Heretic? Heretic Radio Network. I thought you said Heretic. I'm sure you said Heretic. I'm here very in offended. Bushwick, New York. You know. <laughs> Bushwick, New York. Brookswick, Brooklyn. How do you say Bushwick? This wasn't this the old uh, brewing center out here, Bushwick. Yeah, yeah. This, this was, was the uh, old this, Brewers Row. Know, the old Brewers Row was uh, was out here. We are in the center, you know, of the old brewing world, and uh, it's great to see it, uh, uh, you know, kind of recreated here. You know, I mean, uh, chocolate is fascinating to me because it's one of those things that's it parallels beer in a way. It had kind of uh, at least in Europe had a heyday. Uh, uh, Clay can tell us whether he really had a heyday in the United States, but you know uh, uh, the United States certainly has its own unique chocolate tradition, which is really different than the European one. And now, you know, we had the the, the Hershey years, which I lived through, uh, uh, and then uh, and then kind of now the rise and rise of craft chocolate. So, uh, what's going on out there? Well, the United States is known for producing some of the least interesting chocolate in the world. And the, the, the genius of Milton Hershey was not that he made good chocolate, but that he made chocolate affordable for everyone. Anybody who had a nickel in their pocket go out and buy a bar of chocolate. And prior to the Industrial Revolution, chocolate was something that was, for the most part, reserved for people who had money. And so what Merton Hershey didn't know that he was doing was as he made the chocolate, he slightly soured the milk. Yeah. And so everybody, when you have an industrial product, your primary concern is making sure that it tastes exactly the same from batch to batch to batch. And so once Milton Hershey got everybody hooked on his chocolate tasting the, the way it did, he had to keep making it that way. And they still make it that way today, 100 years later. Even though it's a, as a result of an industrial mistake, so he soured and, them and, up. And, and ladies and germs, uh, here's here's your question for uh, extra credit. What is the exact parallel to this in the beer world? Tell us, Garrett. Guinness. You know, Guinness for an extra stout in particular, but uh, but Guinness. I mean, when the beer was shipped, it always it almost always gained some acidity through uh, lactic souring. And to this day, you know, to to Guinness, they have a lactic portion, a, a a portion of soured beer, which is added back to give that zing of acidity that was part of what they, you know, what happened in their process naturally, whether they liked it or not. Um, and well, I, I'm, I see that exactly that same parallel. When Europeans come to the United States, they eat American chocolate and they say it tastes like sour milk, and we can't taste it. Maybe he well, can taste it. Well, Maybe Clay can taste it, but I can't taste it. I never, I never even heard that until you told us. It, it's very interesting. If you know what did I ever hear that about Guinness? Right. If you taste, if you taste a good, clean European milk chocolate, and you taste Hershey right next to it, it's immediately obvious. But it, you need that contrast in order to be able to pull it out. I mean, in t unless you get really trained, it's like you know what does dried cherries taste like in red wine? I mean, if you give it to somebody and you say what that, if they're not trained, they'll go, I have no idea what it is. The moment you say dry cherries, they'll go, ah. So, you know, what is the flavor of sour milk and chocolate? Well, until, somebody, until you actually think about it, it's really hard to know what, it, what that is. It's, it's, it's very true. I mean, what we're looking at right now is a chocolate that is probably where the craft brew movement was 20, 25 years ago. What we need is for people to come to the front and to be able to do what happened. What kick-started the movement was a bunch of people who come and said, I'm going to share my recipes. I'm going to show you how to do it. And we're going to make sure that all of the equipment and all the ingredients are easily available. And we just haven't got to that point yet in the in the craft chocolate movement but, yet. But like with beer, again, the parallel, people who may eat chocolate every day have not the slightest idea 
what it actually is. Just the same way that people who may drink beer every day have not the slightest idea what it actually is. And there's, you know, a low end of the craft and et cetera. What, I mean, I'm sure that you can do it for us. What is the like minute and a half version of what chocolate is? Like, how do you make chocolate? You start with this cacao bean, but it's a, it's a fascinating pot of you know fruit and pulp and whatever else. And how does this somehow make it? Uh, now you have to rush through thousands of years of history. Thousands of years of history. <laughs> what what you do is you take the seeds which grow in the pod off the cacao tree, and you take them out of the pod, and they're covered with this wonderfully sweet mucilaginous pulp, which they call baba. 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 You then <laughs> you then ferment the seeds in that pulp. Right, and through that fermentation process, you number one stop germination, but you create a whole bunch of interesting new compounds through chemical and thermal reactions. You then take those seeds and dry them, and in the process of drying them, you also incorporate new flavor precursors. And once you dry them, you ship them to a foreign country several thousand miles away across the ocean, usually. So, chocolate is one of the only gourmet foods where the primary ingredient is routinely made thousands of miles from where the product is created. I mean, if cocoa beans grew in France, I mean, the kind of science that would be applied to it would be insane. But now, why can cacao beans not actually grow in France? It's the climate. It's got, got to pl- have the right, uh, pl- the right plus or minus twenty degrees of the equator, a certain amount of a certain amount of rain, okay. and all that kind of, and temperature and various things. So, once the chocolate gets to where uh, the cocoa beans get to where the chocolate is going to be made, they are cleaned. Then they're roasted. Then the beans are cracked and the shells are removed. What's left is called nib. That nib is ground into a paste called cocoa liquor. That cocoa liquor is then combined with other ingredients, sugar, vanilla, milk, if you're making a milk chocolate. It's then refined. And after it's refined, it goes through a process called conching. And the conching process was invented in 1879 by Rudolf Lindt. He actually accidentally discovered it when he left a piece of machine running on a Friday afternoon, leaving the factory to go hunting for the weekend, came back on a Monday morning, discovered that the machinery had been running all weekend, and the chocolate was magically transformed in and, terms and, of texture. And, and, and it's a conching that basically takes it from this grainy, gritty sort of thing, you know, texture, and breaks it down to the silky mouth, uh, melt-in-your-mouth kind of uh, texture that we associate with chocolate. And this didn't actually exist before eight, 1889? 1879. 1879. So before that, all chocolate was kind of... Acidic and grainy. That's correct. I mean, if you read the memoirs of the Marquis de Sade, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and tell me that you read the (laughs) memoirs of the Marquis de Sade. Um, He describes that he loves chocolate, and he does, but the product that he's eating is radically different from anything (laughs) that we know today. So uh, the other thing which is interesting is not only does it have this textural component to it, so it grinds all the particles very finely and covers all the particles with fat, but what you have an opportunity to do is to drive off all of these volatile aromatic compounds Mm. that you don't want. So during the fermentation... Known collectively as the funk. The funk, yes. (laughs) Well... Fermentation on the plantation is a two-part process. You taste yeasts, which take the sugar in the pulp and convert it to alcohol. Then you introduce it to air, and it take, the bacteria does a, an acetic acid step. So it converts the alcohol into acetic acid. So when the beans come out of the fermentation process, I mean, they smell like vinegar. Wow. And when they get to the factor, when they get to factory, many of them also smell like vinegar still even after being dried. And so part of the part of the challenge of the chocolate making process is to selectively get rid of the acids you don't want. Now we do it very quickly chemically through a process called alkalization, 
right. by throwing a chemical like potassium carbonate or calcium carbonate, which is a base, which neutralizes the acid, but it does it chemically. And it doesn't do it um, with any finesse or nuance. It just just. Right, let, let's open this up, John. <laughs> yes, sir. Tell me something about chocolate and beer pairings. I want to hear about chocolate and cooking. <laughs> sure. Well, chocolate and cooking is, is, is fairly interesting. And, 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 and I found that as you go and start talking to people that um, uh, what was mentioned earlier where most people say, oh, we're going to talk about uh, chocolate and food. I'm immediately going to think about wine. And and that's really been the surprising thing to me. And, and I think we're all sort of in this great beer bubble right now but when you remove yourself from it and you realize that the wine industry like they have with so many other things have really put their hooks into chocolate and claimed it as their own and most of the people in this country at least and I I, I can't speak internationally but in this country really don't ever think about beer when it comes to chocolate and that for me as, as a writer and working on this book has been a great frustration because even a lot of people in this industry um Smaller brewers aren't necessarily thinking about uh, chocolate when it comes to beer. So, Cho, the uh, this this chocolate, the San cho- Francisco company, absolutely. Yeah. Last year at the Craft Brewers Conference, did a chocolate beer contest, and uh, it was right uh, first or second day of CBC last year out in San Francisco, and it was fantastic to really see. A lot of these breweries, for the first time, uh, several of them admitted embracing uh, beer. And chocolate, and also putting chocolate in their beer. And, and Garrett, obviously, your brewery's been doing this for quite a while, and you've been forward-thinking with, with culinary expertise, and I think that comes with being where we live. But when you get out of this area, people still aren't thinking about it. They're thinking about port. They're thinking about a darker, richer red wine with chocolate. So for me, the real challenge has been to find recipes that break away from the normal port and chocolate uh, and you start to move into darker beers. So you start looking at uh, 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 flavor bridges. So uh, the malts that are used, if there's like a, a, a darker beer, a more uh, malty beer that has some caramelization to it, you can find bridges with chocolate in it. Um, even some chocolates now have chilies in them, uh, like chili powder chocolates. And you can find a nice comparison to a pale ale with something along those lines. And you wouldn't ordinarily think of a pale ale with chocolate. But well, it's strange you should say that there now there are chilies. Yeah, the, that's chilies the origin. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's the traditional traditional flavoring that's used in chocolate. So we think that things are very very modern, and they are in fact very ancient. I mean, I'm, I've been doing some pairing and having some fun stuff with um, some of the um, the. Um, you know, the older beers that you know predate the Rheinheitsgebot, sure. You know, and you know the the wonder using other things besides hops in terms of preservatives and getting these wonderful you know these wonderful herbal flavors out of the group beers. I mean, I'm doing this this craft beer festival this weekend, and I'm deliberately taking a wit beer which has got cardamom and some other flavors in it, and pairing it with a chocolate that's scented with lemongrass, and I'm bringing a chocolate from Mexico, which is scented with oregano, and I'm looking you know really interested to see what's going on. You using the the Firestone Walker Sukaba, which mm. is this and and I've got a, a a chocolate that's made here in New York which is scented with bourbon you know and you know just just having a lot of fun there's a, one of the great things about the American tradition as opposed to the European tradition is that you know we, there are no rules to break here we can do whatever we want and have fun and, and chili citrus oil you know all these things not only on the sweet side but on the savory side I think you know what John's talking about here it's like the 
the wine people, beer people. I mean, we got to face it. We're you know we're we're weenies. We're scientists. We got like little beanie propellers on, and we're sitting there talking about IBUs and and all this other stuff. In the meantime, the wine guy's like, "You'll never find." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another wine like mine. You'll keep searching and searching <laughs> your whole life through. But you're right. But how much? <laughs> but here, and, and people go. Ah! Yeah. But wait, Garrett, stop, everyone. Garrett, then, for the, for the layman like myself, how do you put chocolate into beer if you're making uh, Well, there's two ways. One, you can create, and this is my cue for uh, black chocolate stout, you can create chocolatey characters that do not, in fact, have chocolate, which you know I'm sure for, uh, 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 for clay might be, uh, might be heresy. Um, but uh, that you can also, and we have done this before, not on a commercial level, but we're looking at it, um, you know, done. We've done a number of beers that uh, are aged on cacao nibs. Now, one thing you can tell us about uh, in a minute is that we I, I discovered the hard way that uh, cacao nibs have a lot of tannin in them, uh, 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 and you know that tannin will eventually even out the same way it does in wine. But you have to be uh, uh, careful with it. But you got some all kinds of wonderful things happening. My point being, however, that chocolate doesn't just introduce itself on the sweet side. It's in obviously in mole sauces. It's in uh, there are chocolate pastas that are traditional in sure. uh, uh, in areas of Italy like Istria, where that's a wedding dish, and you can do wonderful pairings with uh, with chocolate uh, uh, that's savory as well as sweet. You know, chocolate as an ingredient is, and cocoa powder as an ingredient is remarkably versatile. I mean, one of the traditional uses is to put it in, a, in some sort of chilies and to use it like you'd use filet powder. You know, it's, you don't get a chocolate flavor, but what you do is you it uses it acts as a thickener, and you get this wonderful sort of dark, rich base, right? You don't get the same sort of herbal vegetal vegetal flavor that you would get with sassafras, um, but you do get this other richness that's often very difficult um, to you, to put your finger on. Clay, I do not know what filet powder is, and I am so ashamed. If <laughs> 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 you do not tell me, I must. Kill myself. Awesome. And, wait, <laughs> and back to beer. So, so no, I'm serious. I do not know what oh. filet powder is. I want to know. Really? Well, filet powder no. is ground sassafras. And it's used as a wow. thickener and a flavoring agent in gumbo. You've heard of gumbo filet? Of course, yeah. Well, okay. filet, filet powder is the filet See, part like, of what did, what did you judge? See, he knew Sunday? already. What did you judge last Sunday? What did I judge last Sunday? The hot sauce, the hot sauce for a while. Weren't you at the gumbo? Oh, the next, no, I wasn't we at had the gumbo, gumbo cook off at Jimmy's number right. 43. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people talked about filet a lot. Right. And on Saturday, I was doing another festival where, where I did a beer bacon chocolate fondue. Wow. Which is one of my signature dishes where we make a fondue, and rather than using cream and butter, we use bacon fat and bacon That's flavor. awesome. But bacon I want to go back to Garrett. Stop. Everybody. Wait, wait, wait. Beer, Enough. bacon. Wait, wait. That sounds like Homer. Garrett, stuff. wait. So Brooklyn Black Chocolate Stout, it's called chocolate because of the malt. Because of the yeah, chocolate and malt, but also we were trying to create a dark chocolate flavor. Uh, uh, wait, beer, bacon, chocolate fondue. Wait, one no, more. No, no, I think somebody said no one man should have all that power. <laughs> So, Garrett, last one. So, Young's Young's Double Chocolate Stout, is that the same technique? No, not at all. They actually put chocolate Not at all. They actually, you know, that is a very light beer at about 5%, you know, where they actually add uh, some chocolate to it. This is an Imperial Stout at uh, 10.2%, where, now, we originally intended to add chocolate to this beer back in 1994 when we were first creating it, and I made the base beer, and we kept doing various types of chocolate additions, but... We kept finding that we liked the beer better by itself, and as the beer ages over the first few years, 
it develops more and more of a floral, almost fruity, Valrona chocolate uh, mm-hmm. uh, sort of character. Um, and this shows really what the, uh, what the connections are between coffee, beer, and chocolate. A lot of these are flavors of heat. They're roasted flavors uh, together with fruity flavors. And they can show up in chocolate as well as they can show up in beer and can be reproduced in various ways. And then you can tie them into uh, food elements. Awesome. Well, guess what? We're going to have to take a short break. We'll be right back on Beer Sessions Radio, and we'll talk more about chocolate and beer. Thank you. They don't know what the city is right. The creme de la creme of the chess world in a show with everything but Yule Brenner. Time flies. Doesn't seem a minute since the Tyrolean Spa had the chess bars in it. All change. Don't you know that when you play at this level, there's no ordinary venue. It's Iceland. Or the Philippines, or Hastings, or, or this place. One night in Bangkok, and the world's your poster. The bars are temples, but they're both ain't free. You'll find a god in every golden poster. And if you're lucky, then the gods are she. I can feel an angel sliding up to me. One town's very like another when your head's down. One night in Brooklyn. <laughs> Welcome back That's to Beer Sessions Radio. Everything is Radio Network. Everybody talk at once. Come on, everybody just say something. Yeah. Hello. All right. Yeah, yeah. Chocolate, beer, bacon. It's cho- we're high from bacon. chocolate, and, and, and we're, you know, just through the show, we're not just eating chocolate today. We're also drinking beer. So we had some of Garrett's beers. We had uh, Brooklyn Black Chocolate Stout. We had a special bottle-conditioned Brooklyn Brewmasses Brew Reserve Maple Maybe. Mary, Mary's Maple Porter. <laughs> Bottle conditioned. And then our home brewer here, Mark Zapp, uh, what, 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 what are we just drinking from you before? Um, well, we were drinking a an Imperial Stout uh, with some uh, Britannomyces. It's about a year old, and it's been changing in the bottle over the year, and it's it's got a it, it had a it had a bit of it uh, the cherry pie sort of funkiness in the beginning. Now it's I think it's gone over in the barnyard, wouldn't you say? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a drifted. And for those of you who do, who aren't familiar with Britannomyces, it's uh, what is referred to as a wild yeast strain. Um, you know, it's not one of the regular ones, and it uh, it gives you uh, it gives you it gives you the funk. You know, I, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about about the funk in beer and the funk in you know in in food and in chocolate because you're talking about okay. Uh, uh, we have flavors that used to be part of beer, Britannomyces being one of them, that kind of horse blanket, uh, uh, earthy kind of character that might remind you of wash rind cheese. And aromas like that are going out of the world. They are trying to make you know the flavor of other natural cultures uh, kind of go out of, uh, uh, out of food. Craft brewers are trying to bring those flavors back into beer. Uh, people who are into rum talk about a hogo, and hogo is the funk, you know, in rum. You will not find hogo in Bacardi. You will find hogo in Richard Seale's, uh, 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 you know, parrot, uh, parrot rum. Um, what what kind of funk, you know, uh, uh, 
how what what is the point at which you have driven too much out of uh, uh, the chocolate? Because the thing is, people don't know cacao is pretty damn funky. Cacao is pretty damn funky. That's that, that's true. <laughs> and one thing that the parallel is true is that ninety nine point nine nine percent of all the cacao that's fermented in the world is wild fermented, wild yeast, whatever just happens to be growing there, and there's almost no control over what it is that goes on. So the flavors that are there are completely uncontrollable from farmer to farmer to farmer to farmer, even within a couple of you know kilometers of each other in these places. Wait a minute. I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Suppose you got a wild fermentation going in this cacao pod, and you take this fermenting paste, and you spike some wort with it, and, uh, uh, and you make something which is uh, kind of a, a lambic. Uh, which is started by cacao. It sounds like something Dogfish has done already. <laughs> well, it, it's strange no, that you should damn do that, Sam. He's done everything. That's right. Yeah, I think you should do it. Sam man. personally <laughs> sweeps with each bottle before the customer gets it. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never find. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never find. It's, it's South America. In South America, before the beans made it to um, before the beans made it to Mexico, uh, the uh, natives there actually never ate the seeds. They never made chocolate with it. All they did was drink the fermented baba, the fermented cacao pulp, and um, it can be pretty pretty funky. And it, and it's it's great stuff. So using that as an ingredient. Um, for a beer makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the <laughs> things one of the things we're looking at right now is that is going the next step, which is they take the pulp after it's been fermented, and then what they'll do is they'll collect it and then look at the pH level, look at the sugar level, spike it with yeast, and then take the fermentation to a particular point and then start distilling it. I don't know. This is all starting to sound really druggy to me. I'm kind of like, you know, well, well, senor, we just chew the leaves, but you people. <laughs> very, you know, you're the ones that are getting all out of hand with it. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's fascinating to see that, that uh, you know, you have these things that are, you know, at, coming out of ancient cultures that only in it's hard for me to even imagine that you know chocolate as we know it that melts on your tongue is from the 1870s yeah i yeah. I, I i thought it was maybe at least i don't know 50 70 60 years earlier than that uh it's a pretty new thing it's a very new thing uh the fry family in england invented the first chocolate bar in 1849, and they did that by taking some of the butter, the cocoa butter that they pressed off to make cocoa powder, and adding it back in. But it was still coarse and acidic. I mean, it was this accident, which is often the case. You know, somebody is not figuring out what's going on, and you know they just make a mistake, and then all, you you come back on a Monday morning, and all of a sudden you find you've got something which is tremendous. On my on my uh, on my you cell phone, I'll beer? show you later. I'll show, I'll show you the co- <laughs> you know, I have fries, you know, fries posters. Uh, for, uh, I took pictures uh, of fries posters in England. So now, how do you? Well, first of all, some people actually add what we would think of as stuff for making chocolate milk, alkalide chocolate powder, mm-hmm. and add that to beer. And for the Oxford Companion to beer, I wrote the piece about chocolate uh, uh, in beer. Mm-hmm. And so there are several ways to add chocolate to beer. You can basically take chocolate as we know it and throw it in the pot. Um, there's a lot of fat in chocolate, so that, that, that can be uh, in some ways problematic. You can add the cacao nibs and put them, you know, in there and have them steep, almost like dry hopping. Got to be careful about the tannins. You can actually add, uh, 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 and Clay can tell us how they actually make cocoa powder that dissolves in liquid like that, uh, and people will add that uh, to uh, to wort, um, and that has a different kind of uh, uh, a different kind of character to it. Um, 
And so, you know, I don't know. What other ways have people seen to, uh, you know, to add chocolate into beer besides those basic three? Well, I was working with uh, a, a New York home brewer, and I gave her some cocoa beans, and she smoked them. Uh, wow. How do you and mean And then that? she made some beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, she, she, she lit them on fire and smoked them and uh, made a smoked beer from them. I haven't tasted it yet. I'm looking forward to it. Mary, if you ever get a chance to try it, though. Oh, Probably Mary. Goes up. Mary Isette? Yes, Mary Isette. Right. So, so I gave her oh, some cocoa man. beans. Oh, man. Mary, they totally gave you up just like that <laughs> under the bus. All right. <laughs> Narcs are on smoke, the way. Smoke it, smoking nibs at home. That's a damn shame. That would be That's one, a good one. That, was, that would be one way. I, 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 you know, I have no idea successful, but you, you, you've Matter of fact, hit it on your head. We hit it on the head. Those are the two, the two ways to go about doing it. You're, you're with three ways. You're, you're going to use a chocolate, which you say is a very high fat product. Nibs actually have this pretty much the same amount of fat as chocolate does. So you do have the problem of not only leaching out the tannins, but making sure that you control things so you don't actually start extracting some of the fats and making sure the temperature goes so high that you don't start turning, you know, making the fat go rancid. But one of the reasons why people like using cocoa butter when they ma- or cocoa powder when they make beers is that much of the fat has been removed. Right. And if you alkalize it, people believe that you actually make the powder um, easier to mix in. The beer, but what you've got with the powder is something where you can extract the flavor much more quickly, and you can control things. But you know, one of the better craft chocolate makers in the country, Sean Askinosi of Askinosi Chocolate, um, out of Missouri, is providing nibs and powder to Dogfish Head for use in their Theobroma, and they use both. So you use both. So the what, nib tell and, us about that beer. That sounds pretty interesting. I've only had a chance to taste it once. As a matter of fact, over the last couple of years, have you had it, Garrett? Yeah, yeah, I've had, had it. it. It's it's very tasty, and and what's interesting about it is that it's uh, uh it has an amber color as opposed to being dark. So that that I think is a is kind of a brilliant move because people are thinking of chocolate as dark, and you expect to see a dark beer, and then when you look at it, you're like, oh, it's kind of pale, and so you have to start thinking about the chocolate in a different way, and its very appearance makes you start thinking about it differently. And it is uh, uh, spiced with various chilies uh, uh, and uh, and other flavorings. And you know where Clay was leading earlier, but you know circle back around to chocolate was originally a drink. I mean, it was the, the, when people consumed it, they may have eaten the beans a little bit here and there, but not really. I mean, chocolate was a drink. It'd be ground up and put together with chilies and spices and whatever else, and 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 drunk. And so. Um, you know, in beer, we're kind of bringing chili it back to being a drink, and the chili kind of character and everything else being brought back into it. So that's a beer that's got some heat. It has some cacao nib character. It is not sweet at all. It's very dry, and I thought it was one of the uh, more interesting beers that I've uh, I've had uh, uh, made with uh, cacao. He also takes it out ballroom dancing before he puts it. Out. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never find. <laughs> okay, we're, we're gonna do a quick. Let's do it. We're gonna do a quick t- talk around. Okay, guys in the room, tell us about your favorite beer from the weekend. Starting with John Hall. Favorite beer from the weekend. I judged a a beer competition actually in Hoboken, New Jersey. It was a chili and beer cook-off, and we had a cream ale that had chipotles in it. And the thing that I really liked about it, because you can have other beers that have really a lot of chipotle spice, is that a cream ale is sort of a blank canvas, so you can really control what you put on there. And this beer that we had, it was uh, from a home brewer in Jersey City, my hometown, that was just really quite excellent, a kid named Tyler. Mark Zapp, best beer of the weekend. Oh, I'm going to say I had uh, had a bottle of St. Somewhere's Cynthiana, uh, which is 
this it's a Belgian style beer in Tarpon Springs, Florida, which is you know, I, Mark, I mean, you don't even need a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've been, I've been, you know, I, I have a music background, and I used to keep uh, I used to keep the background mic about ten feet from me on stage, and you can. Mark, we're going to have you on again, and, and you got a lot more stories to tell. And thanks for coming on tonight. No problem. Clay, favorite beer from the weekend? Favorite beer from the weekend? I did a. Uh, a, a Beer and Pork Festival on Saturday, and I made my beer, bacon, chocolate fondue with uh, Cigar City Hellas. And in the kitchen, we had a chance. I, I deglazed the pan where I was frying the bacon with the Cigar City, and we had some warm bacon-flavored beer. And All it right. sounds awful, but it was good. And we have a regular from Jimmy's number 43, Kyle Langang. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, yeah. You're a home brewer, too. Do you want to tell us your favorite beer and maybe sure. ask the panel a question before yeah. we sign no, off? No, I was at that Beer and Pork Festival also, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to say that my favorite beer was the one I was serving, which was a smoked black IPA, which I enjoyed making and even more enjoyed serving but um other than that i had a professional beer that was a pineapple sour that kind of blew my mind a little bit because i haven't had a pineapple sour uh, who, who made that beer? ever i think that one was um it, w- it was a small brewery that i hadn't heard of and what that was one of the reasons why i had uh, i was drawn to it and i don't remember what the name of the brewery was dogfish head from delaware oh well no <laughs> i would remember a dogfish head beer but is do they make a pineapple sour no i didn't think so but and garrett your favorite beer from the weekend so tempting. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back two weeks and uh, and, and and say uh, I was I was over in England and I had uh, some really nice pints and particularly including uh, Hook Norton's uh, Old Hooky. Uh, you know, we it, love uh, Hook Norton. Yeah. yeah, Hook Norton, beautiful uh, Victorian Tower Brewery, and uh, you know they they are rocking it old school and beautiful it is. That's, that is the way to close out. And I'm gonna give a couple shout outs here. Um, some special events happening. The Handcrafted Tasting Company is gearing up for the first New York City American Craft Beer Festival on March 3rd at the Lexington Avenue Armory. Beer Sessions Radio is programming a couple events. One with Clay Gordon, a beer hey. and chocolate pairing. Yeah. So uh, check out. There's a pairing of Clay Gordon, Sam Merritt from Civilization of Beer, All right, Joshua Sam. Bernstein, yeah, one of our favorite authors. A lot of people from Beer Sessions Radio will be at that event. There's a limited number of connoisseur and VIP tickets. Adam Levy also started the uh, New York International Beer Competition. He'll be there uh, previewing some of his award-winning beers. Check out nyccraftbeerfest.com. Again, nyccraftbeerfest.com. They're a good supporter of us now on Beer Sessions Radio, and I think it's going to be a good event, a very well-run, uh, really big beer fest, one of the first in the cities like that in a long time. Also check out uh, February 29th, George Keeley's Bar. We'll have a dogfish head night. Everybody likes dogfish heads. <laughs> You'll never find. And March 7th, the, the Double Windsor. Come on. Our good beer seal buddies, Double Windsor in Brooklyn, will have a barrel-aged beer night with Kelso, Allagash, Captain Lawrence, and more. In closing, guys, everybody starts singing along. Come on. <laughs> Out of the tree of this life, is crazy I'll just night. pick me a plum. <laughs> thanks to our sponsors, greatbrewers.com. Support us, goodbrewerseal.com. And thanks to everyone, Garrett, John, Clay, and Mark, for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brielle Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Good night, and thank This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ear
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.